You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on Lance's ministry, visit lancelambert.org. You will turn with me to the second letter of Paul to Timothy in chapter 1. The second letter of Paul to Timothy and chapter 1. I want to read one verse, verse 7. For God gave us not a spirit of fearfulness, but of power and love and of a sound mind. For the Lord, for God gave us not a spirit of fearfulness, but of power and love and of a sound mind. I would like this morning just to bring a few Thoughts that have come to me as I have observed what the Lord has done in these past two weeks, this renewing and refreshing that has come to so many, and the way particularly that the Lord has released people in bondage. Bondage is a terrible thing. It is the complete denial of all that the Lord Jesus meant us to be. He said himself in John chapter 8, The truth shall make you free. And then a little later in the same message he said, And if the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Now the terrible thing about this is the fact that there are very few children of God who are free. There is, of course, a kind of freedom which is not freedom. It is a freedom simply for the natural self-life. A freedom for the flesh to do just what it wants. And some people, under the guise of freedom, and under the guise of the little, often misused phrase, the Lord said, the Lord told me, the Lord ordered me to do this, and so on, are actually doing exactly what they want. We're not talking about that freedom which is just a freedom for our flesh life under the guise of spiritual things to get its own way and impose itself upon other people. But we are speaking about that true freedom which is absolutely inherent within the finished work of Christ. It is this very, this very bondage that the Lord Jesus came to break. Now there are people who tell us that once the Lord has saved a person, they can't be bound. They are free. But that is neither scriptural nor factual. For it is possible to be terribly bound, though a child of God, and the evidence is amongst us and in church history. We have only to see it in our own lives. 
that sometimes we get more and more and more um, bound, and in the end we're in a kind of straitjacket spiritually. We can't breathe hardly. We certainly can't move freely for the Lord. We can't be spontaneous anymore. Somehow or other, the whole thing has become awkward, self-conscious, uh, difficult. Uh, we, we sort of spiritually blush at the thought of any spiritual exercise at all. Bondage. And Paul knew how his beloved Timothy, his child in the faith, he knew how Timothy was very prone to bondage. Now, some of us temperamentally are more prone to bondage than others. For some of us, by nature, are more fearful creatures. Uh, I mean, we fear. Not that we are fearful uh, in one way, but that we are, uh, by nature, those who are given to fear and apprehension, to anxiety. And the enemy knows exactly what he's doing. He knows you better than you know yourself. He has, every, he has you well weighed up. He knows exactly what you're made of. And knows how to come to you and how to undo what the Lord has done in your life. And so Paul says to Timothy, who was particularly prone to the bondage of fear, God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, if you will turn back to Romans chapter 8, and verse 15, we read this. For ye received not the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but ye received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Here it is in a nutshell again. Now I want you to notice first, this, is a spirit of bondage unto fear. Bondage unto fear. We become so fearful that our fear binds us. We're afraid to speak for Christ. We're afraid to pray. We're afraid to praise the Lord. We're afraid to share spiritual things even uh, with others. We're afraid, we're afraid in such a way that we've come into bondage unto fear, the straitjacket of fear, the chains or fetters of fear. Now, if a man is chained, he's chained. If he's chained in the old days in a, in, in, in a dungeon, chained to a wall, or as sometimes they used to be chained to a great ball of cast iron, that man could only move with the greatest of difficulty. If he was chained to the wall, there was a certain radius of movement, not beyond it. If he had a ball, he could move, but only very slowly as he dragged that ball with him. This is what bondage means. Bondage means that you have in your life only a little radius in which you can live the Christian life. In, the, in your own secret heart, you can perhaps talk with the Lord. You can, but it's a radius, and beyond that, you can't go out. You are in such bondage, you see, to fear, that there is just a clearly a, a defined radius beyond which you cannot go. 
Or it may be that you are a sort of person with bondage like the great cast iron ball. Uh, you can move, but oh my word, how difficult it is. When I meet some of these folk, they tell me they can't pray. When we hear what they go through before they can open their mouths and praise the Lord, now, does that seem to be right? To have to go through absolute agony? They've got a ball, you see. They've got a chain with a ball on the end. They are free to a certain extent, but you know, they, they, every bit of movement is slow and awkward and difficult. They're still in bondage. And this thing, as it were, drags them back and it takes all the joy out of praise. It takes out all the spontaneity out of worship. It somehow makes it as if you're reading uh, the sort of some rather stuffy uh, sheet in the civil service, some drawer in the civil service. You know, it's, it's come out in such a way that finally, well, it seems so difficult. It hasn't got the light of love in it. It hasn't got the light of, of that spontaneous, that spontaneous running out to meet the law because your soul loves him. Now, in all our hearts, if we're born of God, there is something shed abroad of the Spirit of God, and we all want to love the Lord, and we all want to reach out to him, and we all want to worship him, and we all want to serve him. But you see, there is a, a, a spirit of bondage unto fear so often. Now think for a moment. Do you not think that the evil one is much more interested in bringing us Christians back into bondage to fear than he is uh, in, in, in creating bondage in the world. He is the master, the creator of bondage. And through fear, he rules. It says so in Hebrews 2, through fear of death, he rules men all their lifetime. Now, do you not think that once you and I have been freed, we become objects of satanic interest? In a way, far more, he's far more interested in us than ever he was before we were saved. Now, he says, if that person goes on freed from this bondage, if that person really goes on like this, what can I stop them from? What will be withheld from them? They'll go on and they'll shake my kingdom. So he focuses all his attention upon that child of God to bring them into bondage unto fear. And that's why Paul says, uses this little word, ye have not received a spirit of bondage again unto fear. It's come back. It's come back. We've received it, but instead, he says, we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? The Lord doesn't just say, look here, I've delivered you from a spirit of bondage unto fear. He says, do you know, I've not only delivered you, I dispossessed this spirit of bondage by allowing the spirit of adoption to come into your lives. There is something positive that has filled us. Fear is always found in a vacuum, spiritually. Now think about that. If you don't think about anything else this morning, go away and think about it. Fear is always the hallmark of a vacuum. Always. 
problems. Now, it's no good you hiding and saying, oh, yes, but you don't know my background. It's no good you saying to me, now, look, you don't know me temperamentally. I'm a unique case. I'm a singular case. There is every, there is absolutely no reason for any one of us to be in bondage under fear. But it's a denial of the work of Christ. It's a denial of the work. It doesn't matter who you are, I don't care who you are. Every single one of us must be free. It's that cry of Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go. Supposing someone has said, oh, but dear old granny so-and-so, she's so weak and poor, she has to leave her. We can't take her out. No, said Moses, not a hoof or a horn. Not a hoof or a horn. Alone, granny. Everyone's coming out. Not a hoof or a horns to be left in Egypt. Let my people go. Let my people go. Now, this is exactly true of us. There should be not only not one of us left in bondage, but nothing to do with us left in bondage. I don't care what your background is, what your temperament is, what your history is. I don't say it unkindly. I say it to shake you out of this terrible thing that some Christians have got into and they have received a bondage unto fear as if it's a gift of God. Terrible thing. People say, oh, this is me, this is, this is something given to me of God, I've got, to, I've got to put up with it. This is devilish, it's satanic. It's absolutely devilish and satanic. The Lord Jesus Christ never meant one of us to be bound, but he wants all of us to be free. It's as if the Lord Jesus stands in, the sat in Satan's kingdom and says, let my people go. Doesn't matter who they are, how weak they are, what their background is, the Lord Jesus will cut the links. He will break the chains. He will release us from bondage. How much there is in the word of God about coming out into the liberty of Christ. And this is what Paul meant when he said here in Romans 8, we've received a spirit of adoption. Listen, let me say it again. Bondage. Fear is the hallmark of a vacuum. It is the infallible proof that that life is not filled with the Spirit of God. <coughs> when the Spirit is filling a life, the Spirit of adoption cries out in that child, Abba, Father, and overcomes all bondage breaks it by dispossessing that life of the spirit that has bound them. Oh, if you and I could know it, could be a release so many of us have. Oh, we do thank God for the way he's touched so many lives and released them. But you see what I also want to say again, Galatians 5, if you'll turn to it, verse 1, for freedom did Christ set us free. Now, isn't this a remarkable word? Listen to it again. For freedom did Christ set us free. Now, let's put it in modern language. The objective of Christ in liberating us was that we might be liberated. Get it? The objective of Christ in freeing us is that we might be free, gloriously, spiritually free. Oh, this is a wonderful thing. And listen again, 
for those who say that no child of God can be in bondage unto fear and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. You know, a yoke is the heavy thing that goes round a neck and by which an ox or some other creature of labor is guided and directed. How many of us have got this, this yoke around our neck, which, which in many ways we can't be free of? Mrs. Penn Lewis has pointed out that so often in those who are the most spiritual and the most mature, this bondage is the most obvious. Because they've gone something of the way of the cross, they have come to accept what they ought never to accept. And a yoke of bondage is firmly round their necks, and it is not the yoke of Christ. So we must take note of God's word. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The um, new 20th century version of the New Testament put this rather beautifully in its first edition. It was changed later. Um, but they put it like this. Where the Spirit of the Lord is present, the heart is free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is present, the heart is free. Here it is. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, you cannot argue with God's word. You cannot argue with God's word. <coughs> when the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is liberty. Therefore, bondage is a mark, but the Spirit of the Lord is absent. We have received another spirit which has grieved the other spirit and quenched him so that he is drawn back. For we're still saved. We still know the Lord. We can still go on with the Lord. There's still manna for us. There's still water out of the rock. There is still the pillar of cloud and fire. But somehow we're not in the promised land. There's a lot we could say, but time is flying, and I just want to mention on the positive side these three things, that we have not received a spirit of fearfulness, but we have received a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. First, we've received, very briefly, a spirit of power. A spirit of power. Listen, some people get the idea about power that it means you've got to jump over chairs, roll under tables, and shriek at the top of your voice. And that's their idea that this is the power of the Spirit of God. It's not so at all. But you could also go just to the other extreme and be so afraid of this word, the power, endowment with power from on high, that it's fallen out of your vocabulary altogether. And what happens? What does power mean? Oh, listen, don't you think it would be God-honoring, Christ-magnifying, to have power in our lives to serve God? Power to serve him freely. Power to witness. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if amongst our friends, amongst our neighbors, in the trains and buses, we didn't become a nuisance to people, but 
we could quite spontaneously, naturally, normally speak of Christ. Is there no longing in your heart for a power like that? Power just to be witnesses unto him. So that quite normally we can speak. That's what power is. Power to be holy. Can you be holy? Power to love. Some people say to me they find it so hard to love people. Don't you and I need power to love? Power to love the unlovable. Power to love those who are not like us. Who are temperamentally quite different. And perhaps somehow collide with us. Power to love. Power that our mouths may be filled with God's words and not destructive, poisonous words. Power. People sometimes say to me, I can't help it. Can't help it. You know, we need power. Power to deliver us from what we can't help naturally. And power to make us oracles of God. Power to be humble. You know, you need power to be humble. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. You know, some of us get into such a state that we can't even admit something. We can't just say, that's right. That's what I'm in need of. We need power to be humble. It's a strange thing. And power, oh, we could go on and we could go on, and we could go on. That's what it means, a spirit of power. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of power. When he comes into our lives, when he comes into us at the temples of God, then he wants to manifest power, so that though we are exactly what we are naturally, yet somehow there has come, there has been introduced into our being, the power of God. Now if you turn to Matthew 28, 18, the Lord Jesus said, All authority is given unto me, go ye therefore into all the world. Here then is the power that is in our head transmitted to us. All authority is given unto me, go ye therefore. This power is transmitted power, that's all. It is the power of our head. We are joined to him. And all we want to do is to draw upon the inexhaustible resources of power in the Lord Jesus. Now you won't accuse me of being Pentecostal, will you? <laughs> I'm only simply saying this. That in our Lord Jesus Christ, there are inexhaustible resources of power and they are available to every child of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens or empowers me. Oh, to see it. Here's the spirit of power then. We need to have this transmitted power. Ephesians 1 and uh, verse 19, it says, And what the exceeding greatness of his power to us who do believe according to that working of the strength of his might, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and so on. That's the power you and I want to know. We want to know a power that's transmitted power. 
In Ephesians 3, verse 20, it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. According to the power. Oh, we've been guilty as a company of, 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 of facing situations when we had the tra- we could have transmitted the power of our risen head. And we prayed for the people. And we saw the leaf come, but we were not prepared to take it those few steps further and concretely express our faith in the power of our risen head. Oh, I say, what a wonderful thing it is. Spirit of fear, out with it. Let's have the spirit of power in its place. The spirit of God transmitting the power of our glorious head through us, his members. And then a spirit of love. Yes, a spirit of love. Very swiftly, Romans 5, verse 5. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which was given unto us. Here we have this spirit of love. Not a spirit of fear. Do you know many of us, the only reason we can't love is because we fear. You see, sometimes we fear a person. Because we fear a person, we can't love them. Or it may be that we fear they're going to compromise us in some way. Or we may fear that, we may fear them because they're rather strong personalities. And because of that, we just can't love. We, we turn in on ourselves and we become, we have to have another defense, so we, we hide in criticism and so on. But you see, really, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of love. And this love of God's been shed abroad in our hearts by him. There's not a child of God who hasn't got the love of God in him. Now, it's in you. You may be ignoring the resources, but it's there. If the spirit of God is there, then the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. If only your eyes could be open to it and you could draw upon those resources of love. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1 says, Knowledge puffeth up, love buildeth up. Oh, we can know so much and all it does, it makes us um, somehow uh, mechanical. It makes us somehow, how can I put it, pitiless. We've got so much knowledge. We've become so superior. We're so clever. But it's puffed us up. Puffed us up. There were three men who passed that man who fell amongst thieves. Two had a lot of knowledge. They were a priest and a Levite. And the knowledge puffed them up to such an extent, they said, if I touch that man, I'll be ceremonially unclean. I shall be defiled. Oh, I know the word. But there was a third man who didn't know so much. And as he went by, his heart was filled with love. And he went over and he picked up the man and he he gently put him on his own mule his own ass, and and he took him and he paid for him. Spirit of love. Knowledge puffeth up. Love buildeth up.
we could I may go on and on, but I mustn't because of the time. Uh, but Ephesians 5, 2 tells us this. Walk in love as also Christ loved us. How can any of us, how can any of us obey that? Walk in love as Christ also loved us. How can you walk in love as Christ loved you? Are you showing the same amount of compassion that Christ has shown to you? Are you loving others in the same way Christ has loved you? Are you as forbearing with other people as Christ is forbearing with you? Are you walking in love as Christ loved you? If Christ treated me the way I treat others, I wouldn't be here this morning. This is true of so many of us. We are told to walk in love as Christ also loved us. Well, 1 John 4 and verse 16 to 18, you will have to look it up yourself. Perfect love casteth out fear. For, it says, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, if anyone has any argument with me about this question of fear being hereditary or temperamental, you come to me about this verse. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. You can have love in your heart, but it's not full love. It's not complete love. Complete love casts out fear. Listen to what it says here. So interesting. It says, because fear hath torment. Oh, don't some of us know it. Fear has torment. The torment that is in a person who fears. Perfect love. Casteth out fear. And the word is such a strong one. It holds it out. Perfect love gets hold of this thing by the scruff of the neck. And it boots it out of the life. I know that's rather put crudely and vulgarly. But that's the way it happens. Just gets hold of it. You know, great strong arm men in these places. And just sort of out the door. Stands there much as to say you come back. That's what perfect love does. Perfect love can be very strong, very firm, very expulsive. That's what you and I need. Oh, our lives, instead of being a temple of God in which love is shed abroad and love is the pattern and the key to everything, it's become a place of torment and anguish of a wrong kind and bondage. Out with it. How? Seek the Lord for perfect love. Ask the Lord somehow to do that work in you and in me that means that we have such a love that fear is expelled. Whatever fear it is, whatever kind it is. Well, I must close. The last was a sound mind. And it's a very interesting thing, this spirit of a sound mind. This is the thing I think a lot of people need to take very real note of a sound mind, because the word really can be saving of mind, literally, <coughs> saving of, the spirit is the spirit of, the, of mind saving. The one who um, makes 
us of sound mind and it means we are we are saved from all excess balance. Now this is the thing that so often to do with the Spirit of God has brought the whole whole matter's whole work into disrepute and dishonor. And there's so much in the Word of God about this. I could go through, you'd show you in Timothy, in these very letters alone, where Paul illustrates his own word of the spirit of a sound mind being upon us, controlling all inordinate desires, delivering us from excess and extreme, the spirit of balance. You know, it says, uh, I'm no, not hitting at any sisters, or all the sisters. But it does say in 2 uh, Timothy and uh, chapter 3 and verse 7 about certain ladies. It calls them silly women who are, who are ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Isn't that a remarkable statement? Now this is it. Ever learning, not able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Always they sit there taking it all in writing it all down, but never do they come to an inward, actual, original knowledge of what they hear. Spirit of a sound mind. Those people, as it says in Ephesians 4, are blown about by every wind of doctrine. Here comes one thing, and the wind is blowing, their sails are up, and they're right off. Shut off at a tangent, you know. Blown off course. But how many of us are like that? As soon as something happens, someone said up to me, as I believe I said to you uh, this last week, and said, how wonderful you've prophesied. How marvelous. What's it like to have a gift like that? I said, nothing at all. Nothing at all. Balaam's ass prophesied. Perfectly true. Balaam's ass did prophesy. There's nothing in that to glory in. Gifts like that are, after all, quite normal things. They should be amongst us. Nothing to glory in, nothing to get exalted about, although the flesh does. The flesh loves these things. In myself, I find it. A bit comes and says, oh, well, you did very well. You did very well. That's wonderful. The Lord's used you in that matter. See, a bit comes. Yet the thing that matters with the Lord is character, spiritual character, spiritual, spiritual going on with the Lord. That's the thing that matters. And just in case the sisters think I'm getting at them, in 1 Timothy and chapter 2, it says there that there were two men who have made shipwreck on their face. Shipwreck of their faith. Here's the same thing. You see, the wind of doctrine blew them to an extreme, and they were shipwrecked. The Spirit of God that has replaced this spirit of fearfulness is a spirit of a sound mind. Oh, that you and I might have a sound mind. Saved from excess, saved from extreme as it were, just going on with the Lord. Of course, there may have to be at times the swing of the pendulum, and we, we see something we've never seen before, and we glory in it for a while, but oh, to be preserved from that which just blows us off course. The Spirit of God. God has not given unto us a spirit of fearfulness, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. May he grant it to everyone who is yet 
with a spirit of fearfulness that they may be delivered by receiving through faith the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we just commit this word to thee and we pray thee together, Lord, make it real in our hearts. We thank thee for every one, Lord, who has been delivered from a spirit of bondage unto fear. But Lord, oh, we pray, go on with thy work, Lord Jesus, breaking every chain that binds. And Lord, those who have been touched by thee, show them, Lord, how to walk, to go on with thee, Lord, not just to rest with what has happened and so sink back into bondage again, but to go on with thee, Lord, into all thy fullness and all thy purpose. Lord, teach us, we pray, to move on with thyself, for thou art our salvation and our life. We ask it in thy name. Amen. Amen.